Well, good evening, everyone. Lovely to see you. And um, if you're watching this on, on YouTube or on the live stream, you also are very welcome. It's great to have you with us, too. Well, global religions, many faiths, many paths to God, question mark. Well, we're going to start by thinking uh, real basic stuff. What is a religion? And um, kids ask some great questions, don't they? Sometimes they are really difficult ones. And George Lucas uh, has said in an interview, I remember when I was about 10 years old, I asked my mum, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? And, uh, and I wonder whether his mum sort of said what probably a lot of parents would say, oh, honey, don't worry about it. The others are all just wrong. Just worry about ours. You know, the thing is, would a 10-year-old today ask the same question? Pretty much any 10-year-old, I think, today could probably be forgiven for having the impression that uh, Britain is no longer religious, that somehow we've grown out of historical Christianity and that view of things, that science and better education have given us the answers and freedom to express ourselves just as we want. And of course, modern media, our TVs and internet and so on, bombard us with the, the impression that religion is irrelevant, that the church is dying in 2021, and that Christians, Muslims, Hindus are simple-minded bigots, nutheads, or even dangerous fundamentalists. Now avoid that lot. Just do your thing, have a nice time. Be happy. But the thing is, religion refuses to die. Even in advanced technological societies like our own, it still arouses passions and causes controversy. It still controls and transforms lives. Orthodox belief is strong and actually thriving in societies. Well, it is at one end. At the other end, you perhaps do have a growing sense of, of atheism and humanism and anti-God people. But actually, in the middle, there's this being this kind of hollowing out of religious ideas and a, a religious normality. But the thing is, the questions the eternal uh, verities, if you like, uh, that religions ask, refuse to go away. They, because they touch all our lives, whether we like it or not. And the question which troubled George Lucas is an important one. So, with so many religions, especially if there is just a one essential reality, why, 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 I mean, why is there this plethora of religions? Well, let's go back to that real basic and think, first of all, what is a religion? So, I, you know, perhaps spend four or five minutes on your tables just thinking through that one basic question. What do you think defines a religion? Well, I don't know how you got on with that. Um, it's, it's a big question to discuss in, in five minutes, isn't it? Um, 
But as I was looking at, at this and, take, and looking at people's ideas of this uh, around the internet and in books, I found that you tended to find that most serious attempts summarized uh, what is a religion with three elements, belief, behavior, and belonging. Now, you could put other titles there if you want, but those are the three that I thought were quite helpful, and of course, they all start with B. So, firstly, religion has a set of beliefs, and what we mean by that is some fundamental basic assumptions that help a person make sense of life. And those assumptions could be a mixture of spiritual ideas as well as philosophical ideas. They might be scientific ideas or simply everyday instinctive notions. And you'll hear some people talk about this basic set of assumptions that we all have as a worldview or even that horrible word paradigm that we use sometimes. And secondly, there's a behavioral element in religion. And this uh, revolves in the first place in helping us as human beings judge what is right and what is wrong. And it helps us with trying to improve ourselves. And on, on an, in another aspect, it's often about ritual and habit and reverence, perhaps prayer, and then having festivals, having a good time as well. So there are habits and, and customs of behavior. And then lastly, and still very importantly, religion gives us an identity or self-value, and that's very important to people, isn't it? It helps us understand our origins, why there's life at all, and our fate. What happens to us after we die? We all have to think about these things at some point. And the idea that uh, of a dimension and a better reality beyond our own in this measurable material world is a very common idea amongst people, isn't it? So I wonder how you got on with the, uh, the sub-questions. Is everyone religious? I mean, what about atheists and scientists and people who claim to be non-religious? I mean, what about the fanatical football person who lives for one Saturday to another? You know, any number of things. Well, Tim Keller had this to say when he was speaking on this subject. Every religion points to something that is ultimate and to what matters most to you. Your God is what gives you ultimate hope and meaning in life. So, of course, whatever is, is most important to you, that could be football, it could be freedom, career, family, whatever it is. And we all crave and need meaning and value and belonging with others who have those same uh, goals and hopes gives us that, that sense of belonging to some extent, doesn't it? And everyone, I think, has a view on God. No, I don't believe, or yes, I do believe there's, there's a God. We all have a view on morality, what's right and wrong, and where those morals and ethics fit into the way of things. Right, so we're going to move on to the, um, the second section where we're going to think about uh, all religions 
being the same, apparently. You see, you can talk to almost anyone about religion, and normally you get one of two common responses. Very rarely does, is it anything different. The first one is, I'm not religious. Um, which, hopefully, as we've already begun to see in the first part, is rather problematic. Unless, of course, they mean, I don't go to church or to temple or to synagogue or whatever. Or it probably just means, I'm not interested. And then there's the second one, um, all religions are the same. Or at least they all have a partial view of the same truth. And it tends to be what in school and in media and, and, and our, our culture teach us now. But is it true? Well, what do you think? Have another discussion. Do all religions teach the same thing? Well, hopefully, uh, I think from the sounds of it, you're all having some good discussions there. So it would be great to know what you came up with after, after the event this evening. I mean, I thought it's very easy to see why people get the wrong impression that all religions are the same, because, of course, as we've already seen, there are some common factors in them all, and some of them have very, you know, these common traits. When it gets to organised uh, religions or established religions, even they tend to have some features that come up time and again, you know, like a final judgment authority, an ethical code for people to live their lives by, uh, perhaps the idea of an afterlife of some kind. And generally, that uh, depends on whether you get the necessary pass mark for your religion. Okay, so there's, there's always a bit of doubt in this, uh, in a religion, isn't there? But what's different? Well, there's quite a lot that's different, as you can see by this little table of some of the main religions. For example, you'll see that some have no God at all. Others will have one God. Some will have thousands. All have prophets or gurus, guides to the divine. Whereas one teacher and founder says, I am the divine God. And the end goal could be just a sort of a merging with the universal sort of mindlessness, if you like. It might be enlightenment, whatever that means. Or it might be a very active, practical afterlife. Some are based on human effort. Some say they're based on somebody else's effort. Well, at, at, uh, when I went up to university, I went to study philosophy and Chinese studies. And the Chinese studies led me to study something of the ancient Oriental religions and their founders. So Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, even animism, as well as the dragon-infested myths of the continent. Now, I'd arrived at university as a, as a good atheist, well, what I thought was a good atheist, being brought up by uh, humanist parents who, uh, like a lot of humanists, I've observed, had quite a strong Christian ethic, interestingly. 
Now, to say that any of the religions or philosophies that I studied in those four years have the same aims and goals as Christianity is absurd. Let's do a quick uh, overview, and these are my views on it. If I'm getting some of the details wrong on some of these, I'm sure you'll let me know afterwards. Confucianism is much more a political philosophy than it is a search for God. I really don't think we can call it a, a religion at all. And then there's Taoism and its major offspring, Buddhism. They don't talk about God at all, but focus on this cycle of, of rebirth and the effort to try and escape from it. In fact, they even claim that the material world is illusory, that only spirit is real. Its goal is disengagement, unfeeling, inner peace. And it sees a balance of good and evil in that idea you'll have heard of called karma. When you die, if you followed the prescribed religious rituals, uh, then you merge with the great unaware, unfeeling world spirit, which they call the Tao, or the Way, or Nirvana. Unless, of course, you've led a really bad life, when, uh, bad luck, you get reborn into this material world to have another go. Hinduism has thousands of gods. It's pantheistic, as we say. And compared to, uh, you know, when we compare it to others like Islam, that says there's only one god, which is monotheistic. Hindus, rather like Taoists and Buddhists, see life as cyclical, death and rebirth into this physical world. Suffering is never unjust, but deserved from a former life. It has a very strict moral system that allows uh, you to score sufficient points to be saved, that is, to be released from the karmic cycle and again merged into eternity. Now, what about Islam? Read any serious book on Islam, and consistently the very first point that's made and underlined is that it has to be understood as much of a political and legal system as it is a religion. Morality is behaving in accordance with the will of God expressed through five religious duties. Your inner, sorry, your inner motives and character actually don't even matter in Islam as long as you obey and observe those duties. And at judgment, you must have a pass mark on the duties. You mustn't have failed in those duties or you're out. And then we could perhaps even think about atheism. Well, that says there's no God, there's no divine entity, no final authority, no day of reckoning. Moral codes are nothing more than man-made systems of social control. It's basically a rejection and denial of the supernatural completely, isn't it? Probably more in hope than anything else. And it's essentially very nihilistic. It's grim and it's a hard grind being an atheist. I don't think those years I spent being an atheist were much fun at all.
Well, let's leave the last word Tim Keller again on this. He started a, a lecture at a U.S. college saying this. To say all religions are the same or equally right means you haven't been listening to what they say. Great way to start a talk. I didn't have the guts to do that. But it's true. Right, so we're going to move on to section three here. And offensiveness. Oh dear, because you see... All religions claim that they are the exclusive owners of, of the truth. But there's one in particular we're interested in, which also makes that claim, doesn't it? And Jesus says in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. So we're going to think again on your tables for a few minutes. Why does that claim of Jesus, which sums up the biblical point of view on global religions, why does it upset people so much today? All right, well, again, it seems to have opened up lots of discussion. In fact, as I, I started looking at this subject, it's a massive subject, and there's lots of ideas. And actually, all, almost everybody I've spoken to says, well, are you doing this, or are you doing that? And uh, no, no, haven't really thought about that one, or no, don't have time. But there, there are lots of things that actually, if we go into a second term of doing these, these topical themes we could really open up and think about, for example, like on the what, what is religion, we could think about, well, what is belief, fundamentally? You know, there's all sorts of areas we could, we could go into. So, just, I, I don't know, does anybody want to sort of shout out, did they, they get an idea that, that the fundamentally what it is that upsets people so much about that kind of claim of Jesus? Yeah. That's exactly the, 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 what, 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 um, what I came up with, actually, and what, what seems to be the common thing. Did everybody else get that idea? Yeah. Oh, exclusivity. Sorry, Hazel, thank you. Yeah, okay, so the idea is that if, if we're saying, well, we've got the one only way, and, and Jesus is standing and saying, well, only I am the one way... That's excluding an awful lot of people around the world. You know, if you remember that table we had of the millions of people who believe in these other religions, it's very upsetting to be told, oh no, buddy, you're wrong. But lots of people don't believe that Jesus was God. So they don't think it was just a man saying, I'm right. the way. That's right. Wonderful. You're setting us up beautifully for the rest of the talk. Thank you. Well done, Elizabeth. So, so of course, Christianity, as we said, is, is not alone in, in being exclusive. And the Bible bombards us with its exclusivity claims right the way from generation through to, to sorry, from Genesis through to Revelation. It simply assumes everything else is idolatry, that it's worthless, that it's fake news, 
that it's a lie. And this claim of Jesus that we find in John, I picked this because I think this is the clearest example and it comes from the lips of our Lord himself. In this short sentence from John's Gospel account, Jesus simply dismisses all world religions, wisdoms, philosophies, to utter irrelevance. Everything else is false and counterfeit. It might have a few glimpses of the truth, but that's all. So, you, you get this. To claim that you have the only truth is considered too exclusive in a pluralistic society. It's divisive in a modern democratic society. I mean, I think this is how people generally approach us when we try and talk to them about Christianity, isn't it? I mean, it's certainly my experience. Religious people, too, I mean, we're not always the best ambassadors, are we, through what we say and what we do in society. We're often, like everybody else, hypocritical. We can be just as unethical and unthinking and controlling. And we can many times undermine Christ's gospel message. And we make it divisive when it's actually it's universally all-embracing, all-welcoming. That's Christ's message. And I think it's actually us, his ambassadors, that, you know, in our broken, sinful selves, make it divisive. Anyway, I don't know whether you... Um, oh, yeah, the answer's up there. I was going to ask you if you knew how many uh, recognised religions there are in the world. I'm falling to bits. There we go. Let's just put that back in my pocket. 4,200. Yes, it, I was rather shocked by that. I don't know who went round counting them, but they obviously kept busy for a while. And they cannot all be true because they're all different. But logically, just because they can't all be true doesn't mean that one might be right. And if it is right, it is its point of perspective on reality that allows it to be so. Truth is a matter of perspective. Now, necessarily, we are all creatures. We are in this universal material uh, creation. So we're working from inside the machine, if you like, inside the created order. So to try and make sense of anything, we're limited by the amount of data and evidence we can assimilate, and we're limited by our brain power and restricted by our experience. And all these make up what I'm calling a perspective. Right? We all have limited perspectives, and because we're inside the machine, we don't see the whole. Because the only way to understand the whole is if someone external to that created order who has the right global point of perspective, reveals 
that truth to us. And the Bible and the teachings of Jesus are exactly that, a revelation from the one person from outside the system who understands it in its entirety and can therefore explain its reality and its purpose to us. Because he has the full data set, he has all the evidence from where we... I mean, imagine this room was our reality. Now, we might have quite nice lives in here. But we're not going to understand why we're here or what happens when we die from the evidence we can find in this room, necessarily. Yeah, get the point? So we need to make some correct assumptions here. Remember where we started um, this evening, that everybody makes basic assumptions about life and death. And we cannot know that these assumptions are right. Everybody, even the atheist, has to make a leap of faith. It's just as true for the biologist religiously sticking with Darwinian evolution. That also is a leap of faith. Now, Sam touched on this in his first talk back in September with those boxes. Do you remember the boxes stacked up here? So, um, I've made some little, you know, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, Not, you know, uh, not real ones. Fake ones, picture ones, to to remind us, because I couldn't find sufficient boxes to write these things on. So let's try and bring this into the context revealed to us by Jesus. He says that one absolutely fundamental assumption we must make in all the things that we believe about life and about reality is him. He is the one assumption. Jesus. If you start your worldview on him and looking at everything through him, it all starts to make sense in a way it never will otherwise. So if you're studying history, you look at it as the history of Jesus Christ. If you're looking at science, He is the creator God. He is the lawgiver of chemistry and physics. So on and so forth. Now, John Lennox, who a lot of us uh, know, when faced with the question, which religion is right, said this, well, I only know one way of deciding which of anything to believe. And that's on the basis of Evidence. We've been given brains by God and he tells us to use them. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. And why does he do that? Well, he can do so because there is sufficient evidence to confirm the exclusivity of the Christian claim to be the one religion of those 4,200 that is correct. Now, the main business of Christchurch, of course, week in, week out, is presenting these claims of Christ. 
which we can then test in the experience of our own lives. And that's what John Lennox is advising his listeners to do, to constantly ask uh, questions of it and then see if it matches up. Does it relate to life as it really is? Now, if I think back to my university days, as I studied each of these different religions, and then in my philosophy course studied each of the different philosophies, you know, starting with Plato and Socrates, going into metaphysics and then into materialism and ending up with, with Marx and Engels. I got terribly excited about this latest thing and, oh yes, this was the answer to life and yes, I was definitely, a, you know, a, a fan of Socrates or metaphysics was definitely right or whatever it might be. But the trouble is, within weeks, I started seeing holes the, the fabric of sense always started tearing. And of course, what do you do in that situation? Well, we're very good as human beings at papering over the cracks, aren't we, when something's a bit unsuitable to our point of view. And that's what I was doing. But then in my 30s, I re-evaluated the claims of Christ as I read the Gospel of Mark. And the revelation to me was that what the Bible was telling me didn't have any holes. Here was a consistent message that did chime with life, with reality. Here was a philosophy that had the answers to everything that the other philosophies only saw little bits of or didn't answer at all. And you know, 30 years on, after coming to Christ, I still haven't found any holes. In fact, the logic and the evidence is just getting tighter and tighter by the day. And that is you know, really the challenge of this evening. How do we test any of these religions? Because there are lots. Evidence. And testing it. And Christ says to do so. He wants us to challenge him. To think about all these things. Again, because he knows the evidence that he presents will stand up. All right, now I haven't spent a long time in the Bible. I've only presented one quotation from the Bible because I think it's key. Our friend John Farrow, who passed away some years ago, he always used to say, start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. Then it all makes sense how right he was. Anyway, what I thought we'd do is we'll just go through a couple of slides of some of the key claims that you will find in, in the Bible. And if you want to know more, as I've said, it is the week in, week out, bread and butter of what Christ Church is about. Come along, find out more, get stuck in and don't delay. And we have many ways to help people explore these things 
to themselves. So Jesus claimed not just to represent God like a guru or a guide or a prophet, but to be God, the eternal God. And all other uh, founders and teachers don't claim that. They say, I'm a guide, come to help you find God. But Christ says, I'm God, come to find you. And of course we have the evidence of the miracles. And those eyewitnesses of them in the first century believed them, they saw them, they experienced them. And they're still in the documentary uh, record in the Bible because they really happened. And they have to say, if Christ can bend the laws of physics and chemistry, he's something quite different to all those other religious leaders. Totally different order. And then there's the evidence of the resurrection. Only Christ was resurrected for the dead and is still alive. I think we covered that first point already, haven't we? And Jesus claims to be the truth. This means that if a person wants to unravel the mysteries of the universe and of life, then it can only be done starting with him. That's what he's saying if you're a mathematician. What he's saying is, I am the defining point. If you're a philosopher, he's saying, I am the premise. I am the foundational assumption. And as we've seen, the proof of the puddings in the eating. And I'm sure that every Christian in this room would have a similar witness to my own that I've made. That once they find Christ, they found the truth. And then what Christ, you know, who is Christ? Well, he's fully human as well as God. It's all very well having God come down and try and pull us up. But how do we relate to him? Because at the, at the bottom it is a relationship as well as the truth. And that's a wonderful dimension to the Christian faith. Is that it's a truth that is expressed in a person through love and emotion as well as hard-headed statistics and data. He suffered and enjoyed all the same things as us. And he wants a personal relationship with each and any of us. Which of the other religious leaders can do that? They've all been and gone. And the great thing is, this is for everybody, including people like me who are atheists. Christ doesn't exclude. And he doesn't exclude minorities, does he? It's for women. They don't have an inferior role for Jesus, nor do the poor, nor do the sick, mentally disabled, so on and so forth. 
It's for everyone. Well, as we said earlier, this is a very big subject and we could take it in lots of ways. If I haven't covered something that is dear to you, I'm sorry about that, but it doesn't mean that this is, you know, this, this, depending on how this series goes, we could very well come back to some of these points and we'll look in greater depth at some of these issues. And if anybody wants to pick up on anything I've said because I haven't invited feedback this evening or would like to start thinking about something, a sort of a side issue, I'm very happy to either discuss that this evening in person or pop me an email, call me, and we'll, uh, we'll try and help work, you know, together work through whatever the issue is. But thank you very much indeed for coming, and I hope you found that useful.